0: You're listening to Band Geek with Richie Castellano. On the right hand. What's up, guys? Richie here. This is Band Geek episode 57. This is going to be a solo episode. My co host Jarrett Pressman, or Muff as you may know him, is off doing The Hole tonight. Uh, that's another Riot Cast podcast that we love, so check them out. I believe that'll be uh, released next week. So check out Jarrett Pressman guesting on The Hole. Before we get into it, please continue to support Band Geek by using our Amazon link. I know a lot of people shop at Amazon and before you do any of your Amazon shopping, just take this one extra step and you'll be supporting the show and it doesn't cost you anything extra. Just go to riotcast.com slash Band Geek and at the top of the page, you'll see an Amazon banner. Just click that before you do any shopping, before you add anything to your cart and then when you do check out, a small percentage of your purchase goes to supporting our show and it helps Helps us continue doing what we're doing. So please continue to do so if you have been doing it and if you haven't, it's really easy, I promise you. Also, another hugely helpful thing is when you rate and comment and share the podcast on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you listen to your, the podcast, that really helps us. So let's get started. Uh, the first thing I want to talk about is something that I did this week, a new, uh, a new project. I should say um i had my studio set up for night spirit uh i've spoken about night spirit on past episodes that is a friend of mine joe Maluzo. he is a songwriter and he's written these very epic in scope metal songs and he's hired me and dennis leaflang to play all the tracks um Because of my schedule, I haven't been able to get into the studio to record with him. So we came up with another solution, uh, being that I record my tracks in my studio, here, the Band Geek studio. So um, Joe Maluzo prefers the sound of a real amp. I mean, I have fabulous amp modelers. I have my pod. I have Guitar Rig. I have 11. I have GTR. I have wonderful guitar amp modelers, but he just likes the real thing. So what I did is I have my Angle Steve Morse amp head, my tube, you know, real deal amp head, and I put that on a chair next to me in my little control room here, or the Band Geek Studio that you see on all the videos, and in my bathroom, I have a guitar cabinet mic'd up. So I've been doing all these tracks for him. Now, I'm going to take a little detour back in time here, so follow me if you can. Uh, About last, at the beginning of last year, I started working at American Musical Supply. Uh, You might see some of those videos online. I'll be demoing things like guitars, amps, uh, studio gear, lighting equipment, DJ equipment, you know, stuff like that. Um, And when I was doing musical gear, I would. Try to write something on the fly, or just come up with like a riff or a chord progression that I felt would really outline that instrument. Now, when I first started at that job, I was doing full songs. Uh, like, if, for example, if I was do if I was doing like um, a Gibson SG video, I would try to do something that sounded like you know '60s Clapton or uh, or ACDC. You know, just something that. You know, captures the essence of what someone expects from that instrument. So one of the guitars that came up on the list of products I had to review was the Schechter Sinister Gates Custom S guitar. Sinister Gates is the guitar player from the band Avenged Sevenfold, uh, which is a really interesting band. Uh, it's a band I would have never known anything about had it not been for my students. Uh, when I was teaching guitar lessons, a lot of my young and uh, ambitious students who really wanted to become shredders, they really were into Sinister Gates' style and the band avenged Sevenfold. So through learning the songs to teach to my students, I sort of uh, I sort of learned the essence of that style of that band. It was a lot of drop tuning, like you know everything was drop D, uh, like you know the, the two string bar power chords. Uh, and what that means is um, if you're a guitar player, you'll know, but if not, I'll give you a quick explanation of bar chords. Uh, one of the most common chords in rock music is the bar chord. And let's see, do I have a guitar over here? Yeah, yes, I, I do. Okay. So here is a bar chord. i mean not a bar chord, excuse me, a power chord, I meant to say. Um, here's a power chord. It's basically. The first note of the scale and the fifth note of the scale at the same time. Uh, it's like um, it's like a minimalist chord because normally a chord has a, the the first note of a scale, the third note of a scale, and the fifth note of a scale, and you get you know you get that sort of sound. Uh, but power chords are minimalist, and the reason for that is that when you have a sound with a lot of distortion on it it cuts through. If you have big, full-sounding chords, they get a little muddy sometimes with a lot of distortion. So on a guitar, the way you play a power chord is you, on, say, the low E string, you play a note, and then on the next string, you move two frets higher and play those together. So you have, you have this note, too. So you have... And that's a power chord. But when you drop d now what people say what people mean when they say drop d is they're actually tuning their low e string down a whole step now on this guitar i have a nifty little D tuner attachment that allows me to do it without having to get tools out okay here we go so now so because you're tuning that low e string down a whole step or two semitones you can do the power chord with one finger just across the frets, and that's a really nifty thing, especially when you're doing like chuggy, like, like stuff like that. So that's part of the elements of the Sinister Gate style. Also, very um, like flowing, legato melodic lines, a lot of shreddy sort of stuff, lots of arpeggios, a lot of sweeping. You know, just sort of, So if I was to do um, a Sinister Gate song by the numbers, I sort of had like a recipe for it. So when I got the Sinister Gates custom guitar at AMS and I had to do a video on it, I said, oh, I think I can do this. And literally within like five minutes, I wrote like a little chord progression and then I improvised something over it. And we put it up, the video came out good, you know, a two minute video of me basically going through the different features of the guitar. Actually, you know what? I'll play it right now. Here's, here's the video. The Schecter Sinister Custom S is a totally tricked-out version of Sinister Gates' personal guitar. Sinister Gates is the lead guitarist with the band of Bench Sevenfold. This guitar is fully equipped with all of the high-quality features you'll need to create over-the-top modern leads. Right away you'll notice the unmistakable visual design that makes the Sinister Gates model so recognizable. The Custom S model takes this design a step further with the gold accents. The gold pinstripes, inlays, and hardware really make this guitar stand out from others. The Sinister Custom S features a mahogany body with set neck construction, which gives you excellent access to the highest frets. The three-piece mahogany neck has a really comfortable thin C-shape, an ebony fretboard with 24 X-jumbo frets, and a 14-inch radius, which is great for... Okay, so that's the original video of me doing the guitar. Fast forward. About a week ago, I get an email from someone who I think might have been Russian. The name sounded Russian to me. And also, the English was sort of, uh, you know, you know, when someone types and it, it's almost like they're typing with, uh, with an accent. This person was typing with sort of an Eastern European accent. So, I'm guessing it's someone from that part of the world. Uh, and it was something to the effect of, um, you have tabs for... Sinister Gates custom song question mark and I'm thinking what I was like oh yeah yeah I did a song for that so I go back to the YouTube page where they posted that and I see all these comments on it and there's like 40,000 view 40,000 views of this video So I'm looking at it, and all the comments are, oh my God, what song is this? Where do I download this? Where are the tabs? There should be a backing track. Like, just all really great comments. You know, sometimes on these product review videos, people don't really care, but this one got a lot of attention, and I think it has something to do with how popular Sinister Gates is, but, you know, like one of the comments said, you know, whoever this demo person is really understands the Sinister Gates style. And, you know, that was a big compliment to me because I was that's what I was trying to do. Um, and I commented back to some of those people on the YouTube page saying, you know, this is just something like a chord progression that I came up with and, and I'm pretty much noodling over. Uh, and I was like, oh, no, it's great. It's great. You should release a song. And they really, if you watch the video, there really isn't a song. It's basically I'm playing... There's a chord progression. I'm playing like a, a lick over it. I harmonized a few things later on. And then there's lots of emptiness. Uh, and the emptiness is for when I'm talking. You know, I'm talking about like, okay, this guitar has 24 frets, a Floyd Rose, this blah, 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 blah. You know, this these kinds of pickups. So I was telling my wife about it and she said, you should totally do a, a proper video and finish that song. Like Do a real version of it. So... I took her advice, and I actually fleshed the song out, and I actually wrote a song out of this sort of chord progression that I had going. And uh, I just put that up, and I'm calling it Sinister Intentions uh, as a tribute to the origin and the uh, conception of that song. So that's up on my YouTube channel, the Richie Castellano YouTube channel. Uh, You can check it out. If you follow me on Twitter or Facebook, I've already posted it. I blasted it everywhere, and I'll play that in a bit. So, a lot of people are asking me about how I did that, and I'd be happy to take you through it for the podcast listeners. Uh, first thing I did was I mapped out the song, and mapping out the song meaning I, I tried to make an arrangement out of it. I mean, really, the song only has two parts. So, I wrote a third part, which is this sort of um, acoustic-y, uh, not acoustic, like clean sound, uh, arpeggiated dream theory part, and that's the, the part that opens the song. And that's very inspired by Dream Theater. I tried to do sort of, you know, Petrucci, uh, what he calls laser beams. I should have really plugged the guitar in for this. Hold on, I'm going to plug a guitar in. All right, I'm back. I got a guitar. So the beginning part of the song is that, you know... That that whole thing. Um, And then I do these laser beam things, which sound like this. Um, if this is sort of like a pre-slide, so you pick the note, like so, say the note I want to hit is this E. So what I do is I go higher up the neck to like say over there, I pick it and then slide and stop when I get to the E. So Petrucci calls them laser beams. So because I was trying to get like the essence of Dream Theater there, I put those in. Those were very helpful to getting that sound. Uh, then we go into the the main part of the song, and that is the way I did that is I have now since I had the mic the amp mic'd up already. Normally, when I would record a song like this, I would just use all you know modeling software. I would use my Pod, I would use a uh, Guitar Rig or something like that. But because I was doing this Night Spirit project for Joe Maluzo and I had everything set up, I said, "What the hell." So I recorded, and this is, when you're doing a project like this, it's a really helpful tip to do it this way. I used a DI before the amp. Um, Again, audio nerds, guitar geeks will know what a DI is. Here's a very quick (laughs) explanation of a DI. This is very educational today. Uh, A DI stands for direct injection, uh, and it's exactly what it sounds like. It's when you want to directly inject the sound to the destination, Uh, the destination in this case being my recording interface. So what DI's do, what are they for? Okay, Uh, say I'm a keyboard player and I want to plug my keyboard into a PA system. What it does is there's a quarter inch plug like a regular instrument and guitar cable plug that comes out of the keyboard, goes into this DI box and... It spits out a, I believe, microphone level XLR signal. It converts line level to microphone level. I might be wrong there, or something. Uh, There's also uh, pads on it. I'm probably probably fucking this up. Whatever. There's you can you can convert the signal. You can convert the level um, on it. Basically, the thing to know about it is it takes a quarter inch guitar uh, type cable and converts it into an XLR microphone type cable. Another really cool thing that makes it useful for guitar players is it also has a parallel output. So what you can do is you can plug your guitar into the front of this DI box and it has another quarter inch right next to it that you can plug into your amp. So your guitar goes into the DI and goes right back out into your amp and then you have your signal intact and meanwhile it splits that signal and sends it to... The PA system or recording device or any sort of microphone input that you want to use. So when doing guitar tracks, it's good to record two tracks at once. So I had the amplifier mic'd up in another room, and I had my guitar going direct, just like directly from my pickups into the interface, and that's on two tracks. Okay, what do you do that for? Well, say down the line you don't like the sound you got from your amp. Well, now you can reamp it, you know, run that signal through an amp, or run it through a plug-in like a guitar rig, Amplitube, um 11, GTR, or any of the other wonderful guitar amp modeling simulators. What I used it for is to get sort of a fake stereo sound, because I'm, I've i become very impatient with recording, and I want to get done quickly. So, you know, that whole... That whole thing, I didn't want to do that twice. I wanted to just be done with the rhythm guitar track. So what I did was I used the amp signal, I panned that hard left, and then I took the DI signal, panned it hard right, and put an amp simulator on it with like... Um, they call it like an ultrasonic model or something. I think it's supposed to be a PV. Um, and I got like a different guitar sound. I delayed it slightly and panned it hard. So what I did was I created stereo out of a mono source. And it worked. It sounds it sounds big. For the other, for the other guitars, I did the same, but I pretty much used the angle on everything. Um, now, here's a little tip, because a lot of people um, are curious about how to get a good guitar sound by micing your cabinet. Uh I wish I could say there was a go-to place you can use, like you know, a spot on the cabinet that's always gonna sound good, but that's not the that's it's more art than science. And I'm not saying that just to blow smoke up my own ass. What you gotta do is you set up your amp the way you want it. You have to put a microphone in front of the cabinet, go, you know, play a little something, record it, listen to it and then decide, is that what I want? Now, here's the, the general rule of thumb. Uh, to get brighter, you wanna go closer to the center of the speaker, the little hole in the center of the uh, of the cone there. That's what you want. That's where the brightest part of a, of a guitar amplifier speaker is. If you want more of a mellow sound, you gotta go closer to the edge of the speaker. Um, now, this is, we're just talking about aiming a microphone directly at the, the speaker. Now, there's a whole other dimension here. You can rotate the the microphone on an angle, and that gives you some what they call off-axis rejection. I'll, I'll explain to you what off-axis rejection is right now. Um, I'm talking into this microphone. I'm talking right into the front of it. Now, as I go towards the edges of it, you're going to hear my voice change a little bit. Um, you're going to hear it get a little thinner, and what's happening is it's rejecting some of the frequencies from my voice. So as I'm off to the side, it sounds thinner. And then as I go back around the front, it gets thicker again. That's how off-axis rejection works. And you would think, well, why would I want that? That might sound crappy. That's, you know, that's giving me less of my signal. Well, say, for example, you have a guitar amp that's very, very bright. And th- there's you when you put the microphone in front of it, you're just getting killed with brightness. Well, if you angle the microphone away from it you might reject some of that brightness and you want that so it's really a trial and error thing usually I it takes me about four or five you know passes of running back and forth placing the microphone on the cabinet you know playing a little something listening to it going back making some adjustments and then I usually get it and then sometimes it'll overcompensate and I go back and every time it's, it's sort of good to make a mental note of where you have it so you want to get used to how your microphone and your speaker and your guitar amp are reacting uh, with each other. So that's how I did that, and that's how I recorded the rest of the rest of the guitars. The other thing that you're gonna hear is a pipe organ. I, you know, that's just a regular. That's expand. Expand is a is a, a plug-in sound library that Pro Tools comes with. And the drums, I believe, come from the Abbey Road drum collection, the Native Instruments Abbey Road drum collection. And I think the that's it. That Those are the only instruments. Oh, the bass, which I'm not showing on camera, that's my Music Man sterling bass. I used all Music Mans on this. Um... Like it's, it, it almost looks like a Music Man ad, but I, I just really like these guitars, so I like playing them. And when I have to do something that's sort of challenging, it helps to, to really be comfortable with the guitar you're using. So that's it. Uh, There's not much much more for me to talk about on that, so check that out. Um, I'll play a little bit of it right now. This is called Sinister Intentions. So the YouTube video for that, I did a two camera shoot. I had, and you can check out that YouTube video on my YouTube channel, Richie Castellano, or on social media. I uh, had a GoPro right in front of me, and I had an iPhone on a stand, which also gave me a bit of grief. Here's a little word of advice for aspiring video editors. Or, so if you're a professional video editor, you'll know this, but if you're an aspiring video editor, be very careful when you update QuickTime because it will bite you in the ass. I had that problem. I updated QuickTime, and all of my iPhone files stopped working uh, within my video editing software. So I had to actually roll back QuickTime, and then everything worked, and it's great. Uh, while we're while we're on gear, uh, we, we haven't really talked about this too much, but I've retooled the Band Geek Studio, and it's just basically for this podcast. And I want to talk about what I did here it's it's changed quite a bit since we started over a year ago um, when I started I had uh, an old set of V drums that were sort of you know beaten within an inch of their lives uh, I had an old digi 3 recording interface I had a mackie mixer I had a lot you know I had a lot of uh, old stuff and I changed a lot of that and I want to talk about that and I want to talk about how we record the podcast, because that's something that people have asked me to explain on on Facebook. So if you want to do a podcast where you have a lot of things going on, this is how I do it. At the center of the Band Geek Studio here is a Motu 1248. Okay, that's an audio interface. Uh, the simple explanation of what an audio interface is, is it converts acoustic sounds like the signal from a microphone, or for a key, from a keyboard, or a guitar, or anything like that, and it converts it to digital audio that your computer can handle. Different audio interfaces have different features. This one is awesome. Actually, uh, Steve Lacera, who is Blue Oyster Cult's sound guy, he recommended that I get this, and I'm so glad he did. I'm totally loving this thing. It's one of the most reliable pieces of gear I've ever bought and it has a really great feature that is perfect for podcasting. What this thing has is a web app mixer. So if we hook up all the microphones to this, everybody can actually pull up this web app on their iPads or their phones or their laptop, and they can mix their own headphone mix by themselves. So when we used to do Band Geek episodes with the analog mixer, I had to sit there and mix everybody's you know monitor mix, and that took a while, and you know people were never really happy with it, and it was just a big point of frustration. So when I got this, now everybody they get down to the studio, they pull out their iPad, they mix it, it's perfect. I love this thing. It's got four microphone preamps built in. It has Spitif. It has which I'm using. I have um, an SSL preamp. Uh, SSL is a uh, solid-state logic. It's a very popular console company. They make you know big mixing desks that you'll find in commercial recording studios. But this is just basically one channel from those nice mi- mixing desks. So I get one channel. Well, that's all I really need. So I have one really nice channel to plug microphones into. I also have a couple of really handy Behringer pieces. Now, Behringer gets a bad rap. They are an inexpensive company. They make you know reasonably priced audio gear. Sometimes people say you know the quality is a little iffy, but the pieces that I'm using I'm really happy with. I have the what is this called? PowerPlay Pro 8 headphone amp, and that is coming from the outputs on the interface, and that feeds everybody's headphones, so everybody has their own headphone volumes. And I have, what is this thing? I can't remember. Oh, the Ultra Gain Digital. This gives me eight more inputs. So when I have a lot of people here, I can plug in 17 microphones plus, uh, no, I'm sorry, I'm wrong. I could plug in, let's see, eight microphones from there, nine, 14 mics plus eight additional inputs. It's pretty awesome. And another really uh, new thing, I think we have spoken about this, but I just got the Roland uh, TD-11K drum set. This is another thing that I reviewed for AMS, and I really liked it while I was doing the video. So we got that. I also shot an unboxing video with Andy when I got it, because Andy helped me put this together. I'll probably be be editing that and uploading it soon, but that's a really involved video to edit. So... uh, other things you might notice from the from the uh, Band Geek videos, we got rid of the couch. We just got tired of being cramped down here. And the thing I'm most excited about is I got a new chair. That's right, it's a chair. I've had the same chair just to give you an idea of you know how I am. I have had the same chair for 19 years, and I had a, I kept putting it back together every time it would fall apart. So I went to Office Depot today and I treated myself, and I have a very nice chair now. So that's what's going on with Band Geek. That's what's going on with my new video. Uh, I don't know when the release date for that Night Spirit project is. I just finished my tracks. Um, and that's another thing I want to I point out. A lot of people send me tracks to do. So if you have something you want me to work on, you know, send me a message and we'll talk. So another thing I wanted to move on to here is I came across this really cool site that is going to really, I think, help me to do current events on the podcast. It's called ultimateclassicrock.com and you should check it out. And basically I realize that this is pretty much a classic rock show. I play in a classic rock band and we cover a lot of classic rock. So, I'm going to add a news segment and I want to start off with something really cool. They have an article here about the 2016 Rock and Roll Hall of Fame nominees. Now, I guess like a lot of, you know, uh, jaded musicians, I don't place a lot of stock in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Um, I'm sure it would. it's it's a wonderful honor to get in, but, you know, if you're into the deep cuts, you know what I mean, like not the obvious suspects, you feel like, oh, fuck the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. They didn't put this person in. They didn't put that person in. Well, this year is very interesting, and I'm going to go down the list right now. And give you some comments. The first one on the list is uh, The Cars. I think that's awesome. I love The Cars. And I wouldn't say that's long overdue. I mean, they were, uh, maybe, they're 70s and 80s New Wave band. But I think that's definitely a good a good pick. That makes sense. When you think of that genre of music, like power pop, New Wave, you definitely think of The Cars. Uh, cheap Trick, absolutely. fucking no doubt about it. I've played with Cheap Trick several times with Blue Oyster Cult, and they always put on an amazing show, and yeah, that's definitely well-deserved. I do have a Cheap Trick story that I want to tell really quick. Um, we were doing a gig with them, and two really cool things happened at this gig. I wandered over to Robin Zander's guitar tech like side of the stage. I think that... Rick has one guitar tech because he has so many guitars with like, you know, eight necks on them and stuff. So that guy has one job to do. Uh, I believe the Robin and the bass player, who, forgive me for forgetting his name, uh, they, they share a guitar tech. And I wandered over there, and I'm a very big fan of Rickenbacker Guitars. Uh, I've discussed this on previous shows Rickenbacker is the guitar company Made famous by the Beatles Uh, Sort of like a very jangly sounding guitar Uh, Their basses were made popular by You know, McCartney And Chris Squire uh, Getty Lee It's, you know, usually like just Really that sort of twangy Jangly sort of sound So I saw that Robin Zander Had a really, really old Rickenbacker And I was sort of just like Looking at it drooling and his tech came over to me and he said, "Oh, you like Ricks?" I said, "Oh my god, that's a beautiful one." And he took it off the stand and handed it to me let me play it. And that <laughs> that's awesome. You know, when you get to when you get to play a guitar like that, you know, not only is it cool because it's something that a musical icon plays, but it's also a guitar with history. So it's just you feel like you're playing almost like a museum piece and that you're doing something wrong. But that was awesome. And then at that same gig Cheap Trick was doing a lot of Beatles stuff. I think they had a Sgt. Pepper show in Vegas, but they were doing... I want to say I Am the Walrus on their live show, on their their um, not the Beatles show, but their regular set. And I don't know why he did this, but I'm standing on the side of the stage watching Cheap Trick, and Rick Nielsen looks at me, and he goes... Oh, you're going to like this. Hold on. And he runs and yells something at his tech, and his tech shows up and he gives me a wireless pack. So I take the wireless pack, I had my in-ear monitors in my pocket, and I put them in, and they start playing I Am The Walrus, and they have this like amazing backing track with like real strings and and all this like all these effects going on. So You know, I got to hear Cheap Trick, and I got to also hear all the stuff they were playing with. It was really cool, and it was cool for him to offer me that, but I don't understand why. I mean, the the, the egotistical part of me said, oh, he must have seen my Abbey Road video, which is probably not likely. He just probably said, oh, look, it's a nerd. He'll be interested in this, but that was a very cool thing. Uh, Next on the list of 2016 Rock and Roll Hall of Fame nominees, Chicago. Duh. No brainer, that should definitely be on there. I love Chicago, I've seen them multiple times. Uh, I don't know if I've said this in the show before, but Keith Howland from Sh- the current Chicago guitar player is one of my favorite guitar players and we got to play a gig with them and I sort of was a fanboy around him and we were talking shop and I, instead of me being cool, he was just like, well, who, who are your favorite guitar players? I said, you, you're my favorite guitar player. <laughs> You know, I should try to get Keith on the show. I bet he would do a call-in or something. But he's an awesome guy. Jason Chef is awesome. He's doing all the Peter Cetera parts. Although I think at this point, Jason Chef's probably been in the band longer than Peter Cetera. Um, And obviously, the original guys, uh, Bob Lamb, Walt Parazater, Lee Loughlin, Laughlin? Lee Loughlin, Loughlin, Laughlin's how you say it? Uh, Who the hell else? Well, now it's... Terry Kath on no Terry Kath was a guitar player now it's Tristan Bowden on drums uh, it it was Terry Kath on guitar but he passed away um, look it up you know who's in Chicago there's like fucking 20 guys in that band but anyway great band absolutely okay the next band on the list is one that should have been in for a very long time Deep Purple come on Rock and Roll Hall of Fame Deep Purple Deep Purple should have been in there ages ago. Deep Purple is like that's like the blueprint. I mean, you could say Black Sabbath is the blueprint for heavy metal, um, but that's like you know, that's like a very specific kind of. Thing. All right, like so you can you can easily see how Black Sabbath spawned like Metallica, but I feel like Deep Purple was equally influential of doing all the other sort of more um like deep purple like I, I feel like led to like Iron Maiden you know what i mean like that's that's one that other sort of more melodic you know not so not so riffy but more melodic sort of music but yeah deep purple is a band that i've grown to appreciate the older i get i really love deep purple i love Richie Blackmore i love Rainbow uh but i also love the current version of deep purple with Don Airey on keyboards, and uh, who replaced John Lord, who passed away, who was a monster, and Steve Morse, one of my favorite guitar players on guitar. Uh, that's also another cool thing we get to play with Deep Purple quite a bit, and you know, just watching like you know Ian Pace and Ian Gillen and Roger Glover up there just killing it, it's really cool, and I get to be a fanboy at work, which is really nice. Um, Another cool thing is Steve Morse's tech, Tommy, I've become friendly with. Uh, Steve Morse is a really big music man guitar Dorsey. Those are the guitars that I like. I actually have a Steve Morse guitar. And when I go hang out with Tommy, he has all the new Steve Morse prototypes. So I get to play all the new goodies, and that's awesome. I look forward to it. The next Band on the list is a band that I consider to be one of the best bands In the world, Los Lobos Um, If you don't know Who Los Lobos is You should go check them out, they're really An unbelievable band, they can probably Do any style of music convincingly They're monsters Uh, The most famous thing Los Lobos did Was the soundtrack to La Bamba um, You know, the uh, In 87 for the movie But their original music is fantastic. They're an unbelievable band. You know, if you want to hear blues, they can do blues. If you want to hear hard rock, they can do hard rock. If they can, you know, they're not just, you know, Latin music or Latin rock. They can do anything. They're, they are really musical, musical chameleons, I would call them. And they're awesome. And Los Lobos is one of the bands that really got me to play guitar. Because when I saw La Bamba when I was seven... It gave me the bug and it really got me into it. And Los Lobos was my favorite band for a long time. And I think that's a deserved, very well deserved nomination. The next on the list is Steve Miller. That's also a no brainer. You know, let's see uh, The Joker, Take the Money and Run, Rockin' Me, Fly Like an Eagle. The, you know, he, he's got the catalog. That's a no brainer. The next one on my list here is Nine Inch Nails. I don't know much about Nine Inch Nails because I wouldn't really consider them to be a classic rock band, but, you know, that that is an influential, Trent Reznor is influential, uh, he definitely was a pioneer in the industrial style, and I remember hearing that stuff for the first time, you know, being a kid in school and saying, wow, this doesn't sound like anything I've heard before, so that's cool. Okay, this next one, then the last one, is probably the one I'm most excited about. Yes! fucking A. I'm just sad that Chris Squire isn't alive to see this happen, but absolutely. Yet, yeah, come on. Yes is like when you think progressive rock, Yes is the band. I mean, yes, there's there's Rush, there's Genesis, there's ELP, but really Yes, Yes is the band. That's it. That's that's the blueprint for for progressive rock. I'm very excited about that. You know, that and I I really I really hope I guess the, they just they say they're nominees, but I really hope all these people get into it because they all deserve it. So yeah, yes. Let's see. Let's let's read what Ultimate Classic Rock says about yes. Long derided by critics as pompous and overblown, and dismissed by rock fans who might not have had the patience to sit through an eighty minute double album inspired by a footnote in Paramahasan what? Para Mahasna Yoganda's autobiography of a yogi, okay, yes, has survived for more than 40 years of purely, uh, more than 40 years purely on their own musical terms. Yes, that's true. Yes, is. It's not for everyone, but I think it's a very palatable progressive rock band. You know, roundabout, owner of a lonely heart. Uh, seen all good people long distance run around like those are those are prog rock but those are also radio hits and those are very accessible and the progginess has been sort of weaved into it and that's you know when I was always explaining the difference between say yes and say dream theater two bands that I love dream theater like they wear their prog on their sleeve sort of it's like you are you are being assaulted on the senses with you know, meter changes and virtuosic playing and, and complex riffs, which is awesome. Yes weaves it in a much more subtle way uh, where you might not realize you just heard a bar of 11, but it happened. You know, it's just everything sort of flows in a really nice way. Um, if I... Now, here's the other thing. To me, Yes is two bands. Um, there are there are Yes fans who can't coexist in this sort of uh, duality here there's the classic Yes which is you know you're talking the Yes album Fragile, Close to the Edge Relayer, Going for the One tornado and I guess you can even count drama Although the, to me drama is like a transition album and then there's what they called Yes West which is the Trevor Rabin era and that's 90125, Big Generator Union, um am I forgetting one. Well and then talk. Um actually talk is my favorite yes album and my big goal for Band Geek is to get Trevor Rabin on as a guest. Uh I've sent letters to his management. Uh haven't I haven't gotten any responses. Uh I'll try a little harder. I've heard him do podcasts. I've heard him do a film scoring podcast where he called in. Uh obviously I would love to be in the same room with him. I know he has an album coming out, so maybe I could, you know, tell them, come on, band geek, to do some promotion, but I would love for that to happen, that's like, that's my goal, and Paul McCartney, but you know, I think that might not happen, and I don't want to get disappointed that that doesn't happen, but Trevor Rabin, even though it seems a little out of my grasp, that's that's the dream, if I could sit down with him, and even better, if I could have Trevor Rabin, like, sitting down with the band geeks and jamming, oh my god, that would be amazing. I'm just going to do one quick plug, and then we're going to wrap this up. We have a Blue Oyster Cult show coming up in Staten Island, and that's my hometown. I'm very excited about it. That's on October 17th. It's a Saturday. Uh, It's going to be at the St. George Theater, which is the place I played opening for Eddie Money a few months back. It's a really nice theater. If you're in the area, I suggest you come down. There's nothing like a hometown show, and this is really the the city I live in, so this is really a hometown show for me. Um, And one little behind-the-scenes tidbit, I'm trying to organize, uh, Kasim and myself are trying to organize the Great Staten Island Pizza Off before the gig in the dressing room. Probably not the best idea we've ever had. Um, The show might be a little sluggish, but I think it's very important for us to determine once and for all, Which is the greatest slice of pizza in Staten Island? Uh, I strongly believe that Staten Island uh, and Brooklyn have the best pizza in the world. I don't count Manhattan pizza. Sorry, people who live in the city. Um, Staten Island and Brooklyn, that's where it's at. And we have to decide what the, uh, the entries, what the nominees will be, if you will, for the Blue Oyster Cult Staten Island Pizza Hall of Fame. So more on that as it develops. Anyway... Thanks for checking out this Band Geek solo show, and uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Band Geek